This is Salesforce Way Podcast. In this episode, a guest is invited to talk on one specific subject. Our goal is to help our listeners to not only become better Salesforce developers, but more in general, better software engineers. So, hope you enjoy our content. Stephen, what what is your role、um, in Accenture at the moment? Oh, okay. Yes, and I should I should mention that I'm here on a personal basis,、uh, not speaking、uh, for the company.、Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, the the thing I would、um, I, I mean, my role is I'm part of the leadership group associated with the Australian and New Zealand Salesforce business.、Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got around about a hundred and eighty plus、um, Salesforce people in the practice plus. All the supporting people outside of the Salesforce practice, so that's probably a couple, yeah, a couple of hundred more.、Mm. Um, and my role is really、um, technical architecture and capability development.、Um, and and I also look after or, or help coordinate some of our platform、um, uh, work uh, globally.、Um, So I've got a, a team of people that were sort of working together to to build up Accenture's capabilities just in the Salesforce platform and and get the best of our global network. So one of the mitigations of not having enough time is、mm. to have many many different people doing many different things、um, and simply telling us the answer. <laughs>、um, right. So I don't necessarily need to become an expert in everything.、Um, I can rely on on、um, Team and our network to bring the right expertise in at the right time、um, with with customers and and our own own stuff. So yeah, my roles、um, uh, all of those sorts of things. And on a day to day basis, what does that mean?、Um, I'm giving advice to customers on how to architecturally design their Salesforce orgs for large scale projects.、Mm-hmm. Um, I'm、uh, Talking through concepts and design choices, I'm influencing customer decisions. I'm troubleshooting、um, problems and projects, and and working also on a lot of commercial matters, so associated with、um, uh, selling engagements and and client responses to responses to client requests. So it's as much a business role now as it is a technology role. So I've had a wide range of experience, and in some ways. You know, doing Salesforce development work was a little bit of a side step, but I was I was very much uh, um, someone who I suppose does the job that's in front of me,、um, rather than having a particular aspiration about something.、Mm. Uh, and so I did that job, and you know, found myself passing certifications,、um, and. Passing a lot of certifications, so I got six out of seven of them,、mm-hmm. and decided to set my my heart on doing the CTA, which was really,、uh, you know, Bob Buzzard slash Keir Bowden on the the community. He was very much someone I was like, well, I'm going to do what he's done and try and get the get all seven,、um, and、um, pretty soon found myself in、okay. front of a, a review board and and passed within about two years, two and a bit years of joining the Salesforce community.、Um, And 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 went from there, but well, I mean it's that's amazing. It, it you know it, it's a thing of this is the thing I think people who are achieving the CTA kind of sometimes gets a little 
lost. You need yeah. experiences. Yeah. I have still five months to go to pass the CTA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put myself <laughs> into you, your shoes. You've got to. You've got to look at the experience. The two years. The different things I'd done or involved in before then. So, you know, I, I, mm. I. I'd been a, a yeah. I'd managed a team of sixteen or seventeen people at the small uh, company. Um, I'd been involved in some fairly large scale, well, I won't say large scale system design because since starting at Accenture, I've kind of got a new appreciation for what large scale system design means. Um, <laughs> you know, very very large programs involving lots and lots of people, mm-hmm. um, but you know, systems that were quite important, um, and if they failed bad things tended to happen to us um and and so i learned a lot through through those kinds of experiences um and also working in a, in a large enterprise in an architecture role i got a real appreciation for you know what is architecture and how does it differ from being a developer or or being just a, a general techie um and so that that was all useful experiences mm. Mm. I always thought I want to be a programmer uh, after joining Salesforce, uh, but the last time I went to the DX19 in San Francisco, uh, we went to the boots camp. There were those CTA uh, folks. They trained us application architect path and system architect path. I got really intrigued about you know the architect part. It's 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 always about how to design, how to uh, fulfill the business requirement, find the best solution, not a, not necessarily an ideal solution. You just need to choose between the options, find the best one that are fitting you. So it's more or less like an art. So I I, I like these kind of things that uh, there's no uh, obvious. Best the solution. You just yeah. need to find the trade-off according to your experience, and that's absolutely you. You've hit the hit the nail on the head because it's the least worst option. It's the option that takes into account a range of um, a range of circumstances that that may not be immediately immediately obvious, and that is right for the situation given the, the customer's circumstances or the problem circumstances. Um, because the right answer today may not be the right answer in, in a year or three years. And in fact, yep. you know, we're very good in technology just in general of trying to boil things down to right and wrong. So, you know, um, you know, um, you would have, if you've lived through the last few years, you know, uh, SQL-based relational databases is the wrong answer. You need a no SQL database. Um <laughs> And, um, and you know, you need MongoDB and you need uh, Redis and you need all these different technologies. And it's like, well, no, you know, is the data you're storing relational? Ask everybody that moved to MongoDB how they went about doing relational data management and finding out that they can't because it's not a relational mm-hmm. database. And it turns out most problems are actually relational data problems. It's not to say all problems are relational database. And I speak as someone who once stuck close to a terabyte of XML files into an Oracle database um, and, mm-hmm. and wondered afterwards, you know, 
probably was that was not the right thing to do because um, we were using an Oracle database as a document store, strangely enough. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, it's all a case of what's the right answer and what's the wrong answer for the circumstances. Yeah. And, and the IT industry is so good at fashion and chasing <laughs> the next shiny thing that's the one true answer to all things. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you had a, a Twitter message a couple of days ago, a week ago. You were frustrated about this. I don't know, maybe you have some story. It's like people are chasing the, the shiny things without understanding why they chose the, the cutting edge. Yeah, I, I suppose I do a bit of, a bit of cranky <laughs> uh, things from time to time. I think, um, I think the, the one for me is... Yeah, yeah, I remember what that was. That one was probably about. So I think we conflate, um, you know, everyone. The the context in which you are working very much is different for everyone. A Silicon Valley is a very particular world, right? It's a particular world of product development companies, of venture capital backed uh, product development companies some of whom are building extremely large-scale but relatively simple applications, right? Um, right. For instance, Twitter, right? Now, mm -hmm. it, it may be a very large-scale application, but I would argue that the average Salesforce Sales Cloud implementation has more functional complexity than a Twitter, right? Mm. Like... Um, and and so the problems that they deal with are not the same problems that some poor person sitting in a back office looking at a financial account system um, uh, is dealing with, right? Like the, econ yeah. the economic drivers are fundamentally different. The talent pool is different. The technology is different. The problem space is different. Um, Twitter does not need to update its system every 12 months because the regulatory environment around superannuation uh, and retirement funds has changed in that country, which is what happens in Australia if you're a super fund. Most of their IT spend in a super fund administration system is spent constantly changing the system to keep up with all the regulatory changes, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so these these are all different circumstances, and you've got to look at the problem and the technology and say, is it right for me? So, and the circumstances that we're in, rather than saying it's a one-size-fits-all. So, microservices make sense to me in, a, in that kind of share-nothing uh Instagram kind of world where you're going to have a tag service and a photo service and others. But to say that I'm going to recast an entire ERP platform, which consists mm -hmm. thousands and thousands and thousands of functions into several thousand microservices <laughs> um, and then orchestrate them all together seems to me to be kind of a bit weird. Um, and maybe that's not yeah. really what you were wanting. So I think to me, it's that's what I'm encouraging people to do. I'm encouraging people to to understand the technology. And I'm not an expert in a whole range of technologies, including, for instance, microservices. But to understand mm -hmm. the technology and then understand their problem circumstances and then critically evaluate as to whether it's the right thing for them in that circumstances. And I think in that case, a lot of fashions will will pass over you and some, mm. some will absolutely fix your problem. 
and a, a fundamental problem that you have that you need to resolve, right? Uh, so if document-oriented databases or document management, document databases had been more popular when we were building a system for the shipping industry, it would have probably saved us um, days of outages, um, tens of days of performance issues, um, completely changed our disaster recovery, business continuity environment. Like the whole thing would have been completely different. But at the time, it didn't exist. Or more accurately, it maybe wasn't popular, so we didn't know about it. <laughs> um, mm. And so we just hit it with the only hammer we had, and the only hammer we had was a great big Oracle database, right? Um, right, right. So, um, so, so, yeah, that's that's sort of that's sort of where that sort of tweet came from. Hi, just a quick note here. Don't forget to check the links shared in the show notes where you can find the guest's contact information and the important complimentary materials for each episode. In addition, I'd be so happy if you could share with me what you think about this podcast. You can reach me out by email, Twitter, LinkedIn, or website contact form. Your comments would definitely help me improve and deliver better content. So now let's get back to the show, shall we? Mm. I guess it's not only for architect roles, for developer roles as well. We have uh, all the different IDE and editors. We have all different frameworks. We have all different uh, way of structuring our code. So we do need to know what's the Good things. What are the bad things? Uh, yes, and comparing them. Yeah, and to understand them, I think on a on a relatively um, mm. uh, deep kind of kind of world, um, and that takes time. You know, that kind of yeah. kind of stuff um, just takes time, and it's and that's often what we're all lacking, right? Um, mm. You lack it uh, in in um, in consulting world. You lack it in just normal uh, you know, product development world, and so it's 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 often the the critical thing that we're all we're all needing more of. I always have the struggling that the when people who don't know programming or they don't know much about programming, they don't know how to. Uh, tell the difference between a good programmer and a bad programmer, mm-hmm. and they, in that sense, they just simplify the case. They say, okay, if you can do it in one day, I would choose you comparing to another guy do it in two days. So, and it's hard to argue with this mentality. If you have to spend more time to design, spend more time to write the unit test, you think it will help in long term, but. Uh, Sometimes it's not a case even like that. You might even make make mistake. I mean, the the extra day might be even lost, useless work if you didn't do it carefully or you didn't have uh, good enough experience in, in programming. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a constant. I mean, it's a it's a genuine thing as to because programming. There's a there's a wonderful quote in a book called The Mythical Man Month. 
Um, and it and and it's a book that's quite an old book. It was written in the '60s, I think. Um, and it was about programming, and it, it talks about it. It struck me when I was at uni um, because the quote uh, really really impacted me. And the quote was something I'm mangle it now, but it was programming's like effectively creating castles in the air using nothing but air because it's such an imagination. Um, yeah, it's really based upon. Um, on, on imagination um, and it's so hard to tell progress I mean almost everything else that happens and that humans do you, a, a, an average person could come along and see how much has been done right <laughs> you can see it when a buildings get built you can see it when a meal gets cooked you can see it when a bus driver drives his bus down a bus route um, and all most other things it's visible but but programming is a very invisible topic right um, and indeed, you can't even measure it in the amount of programming done because the number of hours invested or the amount of lines of code written have no bearing at all on whether you've solved the problem or whether it's good yeah. or not. Um, and there's even an argument that would say the longer you spent and the less you wrote is actually the best possible outcome. Um, <laughs> um, and that's, you know, intellectually, that's that's like, really weird um although there is a famous quote i think it's always attributed to different people but one from mark twain was you know i'm sorry this letter's so long if i'd had more time it would have been briefer um because mm. writing things that are succinct including answering questions on podcasts um takes a lot of time right um yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's a really weird kind of thing. Um, but but pro if I asked someone, if someone said to me, how would I tell the difference between a good programmer and a bad programmer? A, a good programmer is open, they communicate, they're generally giving you accurate indications of their progress. You know, a bad programmer will say, oh, it'll be finished tomorrow, oh, it'll be finished tomorrow, it'll be finished tomorrow. Um, a bad programmer would will attempt to... Uh, intimidate the the non-technical person into you know leaving them alone rather than simply you know helping them and explaining to them why the problem so a good programmer should be able to explain why something's hard or something's good uh, easy um, they should be able to give you accurate reasonably accurate predictions about how their progress and where they're going um, mm. They should be able to give you suggestions about how things could be done better or how you could make this this easier. Um, they should be able to point out logical problems in what's been requested, right? Um, and and those are also, I think, signs of a good programmer. Um, and and bad programmers simply um, they don't ask why, they don't um, they don't uh, attempt to understand the context of the problem, they don't go looking for an easier way, they're not curious about their tooling. Um, and they just sort of, you know, do stuff. Um, and, and so, yeah, but, but those are all very soft things, right? Um, yeah, indeed. If you, if you are cracking open someone's code, I, I'm immediately impressed by consistent formatting. <laughs> I mean, one of the programmers mm -hmm. I worked with was a, was a guy from Yugoslavia and, um, his indenting and formatting of his code without a code formatter was the most, the prettiest code you'd ever see, right? It was just um, the the capitalization, the variable naming, the indenting, the the formatting was was really lovely. Um, and it's such a trivial thing, um, but it really does go to indicate the I think some of the thought patterns that 
that happen between behind um, behind a, a programmer doing work, right? Yeah, maybe it's my own experience. It, it does not necessarily apply to like a large scale. Is that uh, most of programmers I met in person um, are not uh, pay much attention to what you just mentioned, like the formatting, the clean code, the naming conventions. But uh, I treat those things quite um, how how is it serious? Because I think uh, that's how I let the the readers of the code uh, have an easier life in future. Yes. But those things are hard to uh, visualize them to the business or to the project manager, especially when they don't have such a skill at all. So, no. But, so, yeah. yeah, and that's a case of building credibility, right? Because what you tend to find is over over the long run, you will you will build credibility based on the way you are interacting with other people, right? Um, and I, I mean, I've worked with um, I've worked with there's two people that stick in my mind particularly who I wouldn't say I couldn't say they were bad programmers because I'm not sure about their code, but certainly the way they interacted with other people meant that the value whatever value they brought by their brilliance was definitely under you know was was unmitig you know compromised by their attitude which was very arrogant and very very condescending to the people around them um whereas some of the best programmers i know are just you know they're really enthusiastic about solving the problems yeah i love that and also maybe it's also my personal experience is that you need to find a team or the company that share share the same value as you do. So if you think the programming is something you're passionate about, you you might want to find a team that uh, share the same passion as you do, and then you you're easier to grow up and faster. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely mm-hmm. correct. I mean, you can't. There's, that's the thing I've learned from the business side of things, and I think gets overlooked is is that um, you, there are some. How do you put it? Um, have you been? You know, have you? Have you? If do you have like um, what? You know, two dollar shops in in Finland where they're like really cheap shops that are just selling. We do. We yeah, do yeah, have yeah. one or two. Only. Yeah. 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 Um, so they're you know they help their whole value proposition is that they're very inexpensive, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you will have noticed, no doubt, that they're quite inexpensively decorated. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're very basic in their, in their layout and they're basic in their signage and they're basic in their uniforms and they're basic in their customer service. You know, that's an entire business based on the principle of, giving, of costing the least amount of money for anybody. You'll probably, if you're in the IT department of that team, <laughs> Probably your entire purpose in life is to make sure that it's as inexpensive as possible, right? Um, so you're probably not going to have deep and meaningful conversations around, you know, long-term IT architectural discussions because the fundamentals of the business do not support those kind of conversations. 
you know, that you'll find the costs go all the way down to their office furniture and head office. <laughs> um, and it would certainly go down to their IT, uh, their technology IT selection and who their partners are and who they work with. Um, so so that, that kind of thing is inherent in the nature of the business. And I think for programmers, you know, that's that's something to look at when you're looking at a place to work and the kind of work that you're doing. Yeah. All right. I think, um, Stephen, we had a lot of chat. Uh, I really appreciate you spend time with me and uh, let me learn a lot of things from right. you. We'll just pay it forward. And thank you for taking the time to interview me and sorry for the reschedules. Hey, this is the end of the show. If you enjoyed the content, please connect with me and let me know your thoughts. All my contact information is available on the website at salesforceway.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.